John chapter 16, verses 5 through 33. But now I am going to him who sent me, and none of you asks me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father, and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. A little while and you will see me no longer, and again a little while and you will see me. So some of his disciples said to one another, What is this that he says to us? A little while and you will not see me, and again a little while and you will, and you will see me, and because I am going to the Father. So they were saying, What does he mean by a little while? We do not know what he is talking about. Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him, so he said to them, Is this what you are asking yourselves, what I meant by saying, a little while and you will not see me, and again a little while and you will see me? Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn to joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come, and when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish, for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you. In that day you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive, that your joy may be full. I have said these things to you in figures of speech. The hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the Father. In that day you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf, for the Father himself loves you, because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and have come into the world, and now I am leaving the world and going to the Father. His disciples said, Ah, now you are speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. Now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. Jesus answered them, Do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming, indeed it has come, when you will be scattered, each to his own home, and will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning, my brothers and sisters. Before we consider God's word together, let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, your Son, when he was with his disciples on the night before his crucifixion, recognized that their hearts were filled with sorrow. But he told them that I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. 
And Father, we have come here this morning and many of us have come with hearts that are full of sorrow. And so we ask that by your Spirit, as we hear these things from your Son, that we would have peace in him. For we ask it in his name. We ask you, our Father, in the name of Jesus. Amen. As we return to John's Gospel this morning, we're back with Jesus and his disciples on that dark night, the night that he was betrayed, the night before his crucifixion. And remember, as we go through John's Gospel and we get to chapter 13, John slows down the narrative and he draws our attention and our focus to that night and the darkness of that night and to what Jesus said to his disciples on that night. And remember how John begins this account. Chapter 13, verse 1. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father. That's a theme of what Jesus is talking about with his disciples. His departure. He's going out of the world. He's returning to the Father. And then John says, having loved his own who were in the world. He is leaving the world. His own will remain. In the world. He loved them to the end. Jesus was departing out of the world. He was speaking to his disciples who would remain in the world. And at the end of our account, at the end of chapter 16, he warns them In this world you will have tribulation. And the word there means pressure. You will be under pressure. This is, in this world, it, there's, a, there's pressure, there will be pressure on you. And he describes this pressure in in various ways throughout these chapters. It's hatred. It's persecution. But as you remain in the world, you remain in my love. Having remained, or having loved them, he loved them to the end. And his words to his disciples that night are words to every believer in every generation since that night with his disciples. It's a word to us. Uh, We are in the world. And we face the tribulation of the world. And he has departed from the world. And the reason the disciples' hearts were were, were filled with sorrow was because he was leaving. And they were remaining. And so their hearts were filled with sorrow. But the Lord Jesus tells them at the end of saying these things, before he prays to his father in chapter 17... He says, I've said these things to you that in me you may have peace. Now, as they were listening to these things, their hearts were being filled with sorrow. But he says, no, I'm saying these things to you that in me you may have peace. Yes, I am leaving. But notice what he says in verse 7. I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage. That I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Your hearts are full of sorrow right now because I'm going away. But I tell you the truth. This is the truth. It's to your advantage that I go away. And why? Because I will send you the helper. The Holy Spirit. And remember that, what that word helper means. It's paraclete. The one who is called to come alongside us. The one who is with us. So yes, in this world we face tribulation. Yes. But Jesus says, take heart, because I have overcome the world. 
Think of how Jesus began, chapter 13, verse 1. John tells us, having loved his own, he loved them to the end. It begins with love. At the end, he says, take heart, I have overcome the world. I have conquered the world. Now, the early followers of Jesus, they knew that. And we need to know that. And remember what Paul says, yes, we face tribulations. But we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Now, we know that reality because he sent the Spirit. And that's what I want us to consider. It's to our advantage that the Spirit has come. And our Lord in this chapter, chapter 16, gives us five reasons why. Why it's to our advantage that he left and the Spirit has come. First, because the Spirit convicts the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. That's verses 8 to 11. Secondly, because the Spirit guides us into all truth, verse 13. Thirdly, because the Spirit glorifies the Son, verses 14 and 15. Fourthly, because the Spirit turns our sorrow into joy and lasting joy, verses 20 to 22. And finally, because the Spirit assures us and affirms us in the love of God the Father. That's verses 26 and 27. So it's five points. I told Pastor Mike, I was talking to him on the phone yesterday. I said, there's five points to the sermon tomorrow. And he said, well, it's almost a porcupine sermon. There's a lot of points. <laughs> so the first point. It's to our advantage that the Spirit has come because the Spirit convicts the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Now notice what our Lord says. The Spirit will convict. Not just simply that the Spirit can convict. The Spirit is going to convict the world. And it's the Spirit who convicts the world. It's not us. We're not going to convince or convict the world of anything, but the Spirit does. The Spirit convicts. And he convicts the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. And then in verses 9 to 11, our Lord Elaborates. He explains what he means by that. So first, concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Now, Jesus has just told his disciples at the end of chapter 15 that the world heard what he said. They heard me speak. They heard my words. They heard my teaching. And they did not believe. Therefore, they have sinned. And then he says in verse 24, the world saw my works. They saw what I did. And they did not believe. Therefore, they have sin. Now, our Lord has just said that, and that helps us understand what he's saying here. The Spirit will convict the world concerning sin because they do not believe in me. Now, what our Lord is telling us is that as you go out, And as you speak the words of Christ, and as you declare the work of Christ, the saving word of Christ, the saving works of Christ, the Spirit will convict those who hear of unbelief. And think about it this way. Think of the example that we have of the Apostle Paul. Paul was somebody who heard the words of the Lord. He knew knew what the Lord had taught. Paul was somebody that knew the saving works of Christ. He knew that. He knew what the Christians were saying. He knew what the Christians were preaching. He was there when 
Stephen bore testimony, gave witness to, the, to, to Christ. So he knew. He heard and he saw. But out of his zeal for the Lord, and what he, he thought was his zeal for the Lord, he didn't believe. He didn't believe what Stephen was saying. He didn't believe what Peter had preached on the day of Pentecost. But then the Spirit convicted him. The Spirit turned his heart. And he found he did believe. What Peter preached was true. What Stephen had preached and died for was true. He was convicted of his sin. The Apostle Paul was convicted of his sin. Convicted of his unbelief. I heard this, I saw this, I didn't believe it. Now, by the conviction of the Holy Spirit, I believe it. And I'm aware now, I know I'm a sinner. Because I didn't believe. And this is what Jesus is telling us. When the Spirit comes, he will convict the world of sin. And as each one of us goes out and proclaims the words of Jesus and the works of Jesus, his saving word and his saving works, the Spirit will convict. And people who are hearing it may not initially believe it. And you can think of your own life. You didn't believe it at first. But then the Spirit convicted. And you recognized your unbelief. And you came to believe. And so you recognized your sin. You're a sinner. Then Jesus says in verse 10, Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father, and you see me no more. The Spirit will convict the world concerning righteousness. And Jesus explains, Because I go to the Father, and you will see me no more. Now here we need to understand that the Spirit convicts the world, not just of righteousness in general, not just in terms of God's righteousness in general. But in particular, the Spirit will convince, convict the world of the righteousness of Jesus. Now the world condemned him. The world judged him. And think of, again, the preaching of the apostles. Think of how Paul preached. Think of how Peter preached. Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 3. We have two sermons of Peter there. And he says to those who are listening to him, You crucified him. You condemned him. You judged him. Your verdict on him is he was, he was guilty of blasphemy. You condemned him. The Romans condemned him. He was crucified on a Roman cross. The world condemned him. The Spirit will convince the world of his righteousness. You condemned him. God raised him from the dead on the third day. He ascended to the right hand of the Father. The Spirit will convince the world of righteousness, of Jesus' righteousness, because he has gone to the Father. Look where he is now. He's not condemned on a cross. He's at the right hand of God the Father. He's the righteous one. And the Spirit will convince the world of his righteousness. Now again, think of the Apostle Paul. The Spirit convicted him of his sin of unbelief. And there he stood before his God. And he recognized his sin. He recognized, I didn't believe. Now he believes. He's convicted of his sin. Now on the cross, the Lord Jesus took away the sin of the world. On the cross, Jesus bore our sin. On the cross, he was condemned. He was judged for our sin. 
On the third day, he was raised. On the third day, he ascended to the right hand of God. Because he was raised, because he's seated at the right hand of God now, that is a declaration of his righteousness. He's not condemned. And what it means is our sin for which he was condemned, that has been buried. That was buried and left in the grave. And our Lord Jesus Christ has risen in righteousness and glory. And yes, we stand before our God as convicted sinners. But our Lord has taken away our sin. But then we don't stand before God simply as those whose sins have been taken away, whose sins have been pardoned. Because the righteousness of which the Holy Spirit will convict the world is the righteousness of Jesus, which is our righteousness. He took our sin, he gives us his righteousness. So we stand before God in the righteousness of Christ. And the Spirit will convince, convict the world of this. Jesus is the righteous one, and we stand before God in his righteousness. And then thirdly, he says, concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world, that's a reference to Satan, the devil, the ruler of this world is judged. From a a perspective of spiritual conflict, from a spiritual perspective, yes, the world condemned and judged Jesus, but the, the devil condemned him in the cross. The devil said, aha, we've got him. Look, he's the condemned one. But precisely in the enemy, precisely in Satan's condemnation of Christ is his own condemnation. Now, Satan means the accuser, the one who accuses us, the one who condemns us. But remember what the Apostle Paul says, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We stand before God in the righteousness of Christ. So what what can the devil say about us? How can he accuse us? How can he condemn us? He can't. Christ bore our sin. We're clothed in his righteousness. The devil has no basis for an accusation or a condemnation. No, because of the fact that Christ bore our sin and because he is declared the righteous one by his resurrection and ascension, because we stand before God in his righteousness, he is condemned. The ruler of this world is condemned. And so Jesus says to us in the midst of the tribulation of this world, take heart and it's to your advantage that the Spirit has come because when the Spirit comes, he's going to convict the world of sin, of righteousness, of judgment. And it's a reminder to us as we are sharing the gospel, we are not going to convince or convict anybody of the reality or the truth of the saving work of Christ. But the Spirit will. The Spirit does. And so in the power of the Spirit, knowing that he convicts the world, we share the gospel in that confidence. And then secondly, he guides us into all truth. Now, I don't think this necessarily means that he's going to guide us into understanding nuclear physics or something like that. Although the prophet Isaiah does say, even the farmer farms because he learns from God. Everything we know, we, we learn by the, through the providence of God. But here we're told that he will guide us in all truth. And truth concerning 
Jesus himself. So when the spirit of truth comes, verse 13, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak of his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. Now Jesus, as he's been speaking to his disciples, speaks about this teaching ministry of the Holy Spirit. He's already said in chapter 14, verse 26, when the Spirit comes, when the Helper comes, he will teach you. And he will cause you to remember the things that I have said. And then he says in chapter 15, verse 26, when the Spirit comes, he will bear witness about me. The Spirit's going to teach. The Spirit's going to cause the disciples to remember what Jesus said. The Spirit's going to bear witness to them about him. And then we're told here that the Spirit is going to declare to them the things that are to come. And as the apostles went out, and as they preached, and as they taught, the Spirit was guiding them, the Spirit was teaching them, the Spirit was bearing witness to Jesus, so that their testimony was the Spirit's testimony to Jesus. And we have their preaching, we have their teaching written down and preserved for us in Scripture. It's the New Testament. And so that in the New Testament, we have this teaching ministry of the Spirit. In Scripture, we have the teaching ministry of the Spirit. Here's where we see his teaching. Here's where we know his testimony. Here's where we have his guidance. And when Jesus is comforting his disciples, and when he is addressing the sorrow in his hearts, he says to them, in particular, the Spirit is going to declare to you the things that are to come. In this world, you'll have tribulation. In this world, there's going to be pressure, and there's going to be times when you're looking around and you're wondering, what is going on? Where's this all headed? And I know this is on our minds right now as we look at Canada. Where's this going? What's it going to look like for the church in five years, in 10 years, in 15 years? We have right to be concerned about that. The pressure is getting stronger, the tribulation. But the Spirit has declared to us the things that are to come. Now we read in Psalm 139 about each one of us. That each one of our days is written in his book. The Lord knows the span of our life. The Lord knows what each day will hold for us. And we don't know that. I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. I do know the end of that book. I know that when I die, I will be with the Lord. I know that he will be with me in death. I know that he will receive me in death. I know that I will be with him when I die. And the apostles knew that, and they comforted those who were mourning the death of loved ones, of that reality. I know that on the last day, I'll be raised from the dead. I know on the last day, he will come again to judge the living and the dead. I know that he's going to set all things right. I know that whatever evil is happening around us right now, whatever injustice we experience, he's going to set it right on the last day. He will deal with it. I know that he will make a new heavens and a new earth. I know that he's going to wipe away every tear from our eyes. I know that the declaration from heaven will be heard. No more sorrow, no more crying, no more sickness, no more pain, no more death. I know that. And it's the Spirit who has declared the things to come, those things to come. 
the hope of the resurrection, the hope of the restoration and renewal of all things. So yes, in this world you will will have tribulation, but we know how this ends. Thirdly, he glorifies the Son. Verses 14 and 15. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Now Jesus tells us first, when the Spirit comes, and he has come, he will glorify me. But notice then how he explains that process by which the Spirit glorifies him. He will take what is mine, he will declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore I said he will take what is mine, he will declare it to you. The Spirit will glorify the Son. Think about how John begins his gospel. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And then what does he say? And we have seen his glory. The glory of Jesus of Nazareth? No. The glory as of the only Son from the Father. Full of grace and truth. And then he goes on to say in verse 16. And from his fullness we all have received Grace upon grace. Now this is the work of the Spirit. How is it that we have seen his glory? The glory of the only Son from the Father. How is it that we see that? It's the Spirit who gives us eyes to see. And the word that John uses here is perceive. You will perceive. It's not just that you're going to see. You're going to perceive. You'll, you'll understand. You'll perceive the glory of the only Son from the Father. Then he immediately goes on to say, and from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. So when the Spirit glorifies the Son, so that we see the glory of the Son, it's not a passive observance. Oh, there's the glory of the Son. I see it now. It's a perceiving and a receiving. When we perceive the glory of the Son, we find that we enter into the glory of the Son. We participate in the glory of the Son. We receive the glory of the Son. So when the Spirit glorifies the Son, He takes what is the Son's. He declares it to us. Now the Apostle Paul knew this, and this is why he says to the Corinthians, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. The scales from the eyes. Think of the Apostle Paul. He was blind. The scales fell from his eyes. He saw. The veil is removed. You see the glory. But then Paul says, And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. It's not just that the Spirit shows us Jesus. He does. We wouldn't see him otherwise. We wouldn't see the Son otherwise. But in perceiving the Son, we receive the Son. From his fullness, we've all received grace upon grace. And as we enter into his glory, as we share and participate in his glory, we're being transformed. And how? According to the same image. From one degree of glory to another, little by little, little. This is the work of the Spirit, to conform us to Christ. 
so that we look more and more like Christ. And I can say, as I look back on my own life, I look more like Jesus today than I did when I was 18. Now, I'm not boasting about that. I'm testifying to that because it's the work of the Spirit in my life. Our prayer for our congregation as a body of Christ is that we're maturing in Christ, that the Spirit is at work among us, conforming us to his image. So the Spirit gives us eyes to behold Christ, and it's a reminder to us we always have the Lord Jesus before our eyes. Have your eyes fixed on him. So in the midst of the tribulation of this world, the Spirit turns our attention away from the tribulation, fixes our eyes on Christ, and as we behold him, we receive his glory, and we're transformed by it. And then fourthly, verses 28 to 22, the Spirit turns our sorrow into joy. Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. I just noticed that for a moment. Yes, there's times where the world's rejoicing. We're weeping and lamenting. We who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly. We ought to weep and lament as the world rejoices. And then our Lord uses an illustration. Verse 21. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also you have sorrow now. But I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you. Now in that particular moment, our Lord is speaking to his disciples and he's speaking to the sorrow that they are going to experience and the anguish they will experience when he is lifted up, when he is crucified, when he is buried. He's speaking particularly to that sorrow, that anguish. And he's reassuring them that when I see you again, that sorrow will turn into joy. But our Lord is giving us a principle that applies to us too. That the sorrow of believers is a sorrow that turns into joy. And this is the work of the Spirit among us, to turn our sorrow into joy and lasting joy. It's not like the joy of the world. It's fleeting. This is a lasting joy. It's an eternal joy. And so as we think about our sorrows, as we think about the things that cause us grief, it's another way you could translate that word sorrow is grief. The things that grieve us. There are things in the world around us that cause us sorrow, that grieve us. But we also need to remember, as the church is under pressure, as believers are under pressure in this world, that pressure that we're under, that that causes conflict and sorrow within the church. Often the source of the sorrow, the source of the grief, is not just from what's outside, it's from within. But the apostles all knew that it was to their advantage that the Spirit had come because the Spirit is the one who turns our sorrow into joy. 
And the Apostle Peter knew this, and he was writing to believers in Asia Minor who were experiencing sorrow and grief. And remember how he begins that letter to them. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6 to 8. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. Now notice what Peter says here. Trials are for a little while. Maybe a little longer than you like, but a little while. There's a time. It's a time set by God himself. And if necessary, the Spirit leads us through trials. The Spirit even grieves us in those trials. It's necessary. It's for a little while. And then Peter explains why. So that the tested genuineness of your faith more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. In other words, this is glorifying you. You'll be found, it'll be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. It is testing your faith. It is proving your faith. It is exercising your faith. Yes, the Spirit will sometimes lead us through times of sorrow, trials, grief, in order to strengthen our faith. And then notice the result of that. Verse 8. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you have not seen him. We don't see Jesus, but we love him. And in fact, because he has departed from us, because we don't see him, because the Spirit has come, the Spirit is drawing out our hearts. The Spirit is leading us into a deeper love of the Son. Those disciples who spent three years with Jesus, they came to love him. But after Jesus departed and the Spirit came, they came to love him more deeply, more fully. So yes, though you do not, now, do not now see him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Your sorrow will turn into joy and lasting joy, inexpressible joy, joy filled with glory. This is the work of the Spirit among us. And the Spirit will, in the midst of the tribulations of this world, will lead us through times of sorrow, will lead us through various trials that grieve us in order to lead us into this deeper, lasting joy. And I know some of you are going through such trials right now. I know some of you have come here this morning, your hearts are filled with sorrow. You're grieved. But our Lord declares here, he promises, that that sorrow will be turned into joy, and lasting joy, eternal joy. And then finally, fifthly, it is to our advantage that the Spirit comes because the Spirit affirms us in the love of the Father. Verses 26 and 27. When the Spirit comes, he will take all that, sorry, in that day, verse 26, in that day, the reason I said when the Spirit comes is because the day in reference here is the day when the Spirit comes. In that day when the Spirit comes, You will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf, for the Father himself loves you, 
Hear that, for the Father himself loves you, because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. Now Jesus has just said, the Spirit will glorify me. When he comes, he will take all that is mine, and he'll give it to you. He'll declare it to you. That includes the love of God the Father for God the Son. When the Spirit comes, he will take the love of the Father for the Son. He will declare it to you. For the Father himself loves you. And the Apostle John, when he writes his letter to the churches, he reminds them of this love. 1 John 3.1 See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The Father himself loves you. The, the, the Spirit takes the love of the Father for the Son. He declares it to us. That means God the Father loves us with his fatherly love. And it's to our advantage that the Spirit has come because the Spirit is the Spirit of adoption as sons. And by the Spirit, we know that we are dearly loved children of God. And so Paul says that with the spirit of adoption, we cry out, Abba, Father. We pray to the Father. And that's what Jesus is saying here. Because the Father himself loves you, go to him in my name. Go to him in the Son. Ask, pray, and you will receive, and your joy will be full. Yes, in this world you will have tribulation. But we take heart because the Spirit has come, the Spirit of adoption. We are dearly loved children in the midst of the tribulation of this world. And so we cry out to him, Abba, Father. He hears us. We receive. And our joy is full. And then as we come to the end of our passage, there's a warning And it's a warning about misplaced confidence. Listen to verse 30. Here the disciples respond to Jesus. Now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. Now there's a note of confidence there. Okay, yeah, now we know. We got it. Now we believe. And then notice how Jesus responds. Do you now believe? Questions their faith. And then he says in verse 32, Behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come. When you will be scattered each to his own home and will leave me alone. Now we know. Now we believe. Do you believe? Do you? The hour is coming. When you're going to scatter, you're going to abandon me. Now there's a warning here about misplaced confidence. We don't read a passage like this and think, hey, look at all this great stuff. We've got the Spirit. Let's go. Our confidence isn't in our own faith. Our confidence isn't in our own understanding. We know. Our confidence is not in the church. It's not in one another. And if it is, we will soon find out that that is a misplaced confidence. Our confidence is in the Spirit of God. He's the one who will convict the world of sin, righteousness, and uh, and judgment. He's the one who will guide us into all truth. He's the one who glorifies the Son. He's the one who assures us of the love of our Heavenly Father. 
And we need to be careful that as we go into a time of tribulation, increased tribulation as the church in Canada, we cannot go into that time of tribulation thinking, we got it. Bring it on. We're going to find out that the hour has come when you're scattered. And you'll leave me alone. But we go in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and we go in the power of the Spirit. He will lead us through this time of tribulation. He will convict the world. We're not going to convict the world. He will convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. And in it, he will guide us in truth. We've got the scriptures. He will glorify the Son. We will be glorified in it. Yes, the Spirit may lead us through times of, of trial. We'll be grieved. We'll be sorrowful. But in that, our faith is strengthened. In that, our love for the Lord Jesus grows more deeply. It's fuller. In that sorrow, we find joy. Joy inexpressible, filled with glory. And we go through tribulation knowing that we are dearly loved children of the Father. And so we cry out, Abba, Father. And we receive. And our joy is full. Now we come to the Lord's Supper. And think about what the Apostle Paul says about the Lord's Supper. It's communion with the body of Christ. It's communion with the blood of Christ. Now it's the Spirit of God who joins us to Christ. It's the Spirit of God who unites us to Christ. It's the Spirit of God who reveals Christ to us. And so we need to remember, every Sunday as we come to the Lord's table, what we see on display, what we are experiencing in the celebration of the Lord's Supper is the presence and work of the Spirit among us, confirming the reality of everything that we've just heard. Remember those two disciples in Emmaus? They sat down, Jesus took bread, he blessed it, he broke it, he gave it to them. Bread is about to be taken, blessed, broken, and given to us. Their eyes were opened. They recognized him. And so Sunday by Sunday, we come to the Lord's table, and God's Spirit is among us, glorifying the Son. But we don't just perceive the presence of our risen Lord Jesus Christ among us in this meal, but we receive him. We receive the bread. We receive the cup. We receive his life. We receive him and... In the cup, his blood shed for us and for many for the forgiveness of sins. We know that we stand in the righteousness of Christ. We're assured of that because we come to this meal Sunday by Sunday. And it assures us that in the midst of sorrow, God's Spirit is at work in us, leading us through that into greater joy. And this is a joyful meal. This meal is a promise that that sorrow will be turned into joy. This meal is an anticipation of the things that are to come. On the last day, we will all sit together at table with Christ. This meal is an anticipation of that. So let's come to the Lord's Supper knowing that, yes, it is to our advantage that the Spirit has come. And we know his presence and his work among us as we come to this table. Because in this table, the Spirit declares to us all that is the Son's. So let's come now to this table.